The reading this morning is Psalm 47, and if you have one of the church Bibles in front of you, it's on page 570. Psalm 47. For the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. This is the word of the Lord. May I add my welcome to you all this morning. It's wonderful um, to be with you all. There are some note sheets coming around if anyone would like them. Tom's um, got some there um, that may be useful um, during or after um, the sermon this morning. But... As we come to consider God's word and that um, repeated call to sing, um, sing praise to God, let's begin with a prayer. Almighty God, you are the King of kings. You are all majestic. Almighty God, your perfect love has reached out to us. As we come before you, we want to bring you our praise. And Father, we pray now that you would speak to us clearly, loudly, powerfully, through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think it's a pretty much universal human response to want to express our praise and adoration through clapping our hands, shouting, singing, some traditions, some cultures, it's stamp your feet. Sometimes a celebrity or a politician only has to show their face to be greeted by rapturous applause. Sometimes we're invited to show our appreciation by putting our hands together for so-and-so. Perhaps more often than not, our applause is in response to something that's happened. I think many of you may have watched a certain football match a little bit a few weeks ago. Um, I'm ashamed to say I missed it. I think I was travelling at the time. But the applause each time the ball landed at the back of the German net will have been deafening. And as for the noise when that trophy was finally lifted... It must have been quite something for those that were there. 
those crowds there on the Mall in London offered heartfelt applause as the Queen and the Royal Family appeared on the balcony during the recent Platinum Jubilee celebrations. Although, sadly, we were reminded of her advancing years as, sadly, her health precluded her attending all of the events held in her honour. Going back now 45 years, I can still remember, as a callow youth, I hasten to add, uh, standing amongst the crowds in Fleet Street as the royal processions made their way up towards St Paul's for the Thanksgiving service, and then uh, being among a similar crowd there um, as we stood waiting for the Queen and the royal family to appear on the balcony then. More recently, during COVID, haven't we? We had that tradition on a Thursday, Thursday evening at 7 o'clock when we were all encouraged to go out onto our doorsteps Um, get a breath of very welcome fresh air during um, the lockdowns there, to clap for all of those dedicated souls working so hard in the NHS and uh, all the other associated services there to see us through those difficult times. But we do sometimes get applause wrong. The over-enthusiastic concert-goer who bursts into a solo of rapturous applause as the orchestra goes silent, seemingly marking the end of a piece of music, only for the applause to be drowned out by the dramatic final chord. (laughs) No, I haven't done that. But sometimes praise is spontaneous, sometimes it's invited, sometimes it's forced. As we consider Psalm 47 this morning with its call to praise God, perhaps we're struck by the observation that where's the one place that we hardly, if ever, clap our hands or shout to God with cries of joy? It's here. It's in church. When was the last time we clapped our hands in praise of God? Go on. probably felt very strange, didn't it? (laughs) No, wonderful. Perhaps we should do more of it. But we don't, do we? We sing praises, yes. Many years ago in Bristol, I I used to go out on the the Methodist circuit, some little tiny chapels there, and they seemed to love to to select that hymn over a thousand tongues to sing. Well, just 20 would have been nice. (laughs) in there. We sing our praises, but we don't applaud the Lord our God, do we? Now, historically, applause was part of church services, it seems. Eusebius, a well-known historian of the early church, he became bishop of Caesarea in about 314 AD, says that Paul of Samosata became bishop of Antioch um, uh, 60-odd years beforehand in the the 260s, used to encourage the congregation to show their approval of his preaching by waving linen cloths. Don't worry, we're not going to reintroduce that. That was apparently a a continuation of the the Roman tradition of waving your toga to show your uh, appreciation. And it seems in the 4th and 5th centuries, applauding the preacher had become a well-established tradition. But don't worry, don't worry. I'm not going to be following the tradition of the Roman theatre where at the end of the performance the chief actor would call out, Valette applaudite, farewell and applaud. Although do feel free to give thanks to God for his word if it has 
become real and spoken to this morning. The problem with those examples is that the applause and the praise was focused on the skill and oratory of the preacher and not on praising God for who he is and what he's done for us. And in that context, applause has rightly died out in the church since then. Nowadays, applause in church is generally reserved for the newly married bride and groom having exchanged their vows, perhaps a newly baptized baby, or a, to welcome a new minister following their installation and collation into their new role if they're an Anglican. But, as we've said, applause is rarely heard in church services today. But such a reticence to praise the Lord our God is very much at odds with Psalm 47, which we're considering this morning. So if you close your Bibles, you might like to open them again to Psalm 47. It's on page 570 of the Church Bibles, or you can find it on whatever electronic device you prefer. But before we get into the text of the psalm itself, let's just consider very briefly those notes that preface the psalm, where we're told it's for the director of music and the sons of Korah. That note that tells us, and it appears quite frequently in the Psalms there, that it's for the director of music, groups it with 54 other Psalms so dedicated, now to the total of 150 there. And it's indication, if we ever needed it, that it was to be used in worship. The Psalms were the hymn book of the Jewish people, they were the hymn book of the Old Testament. But what about the sons of Korah? Well, Korah was um, Moses' cousin. Um, it came to a slightly sticky end. If you go back to Numbers chapter 16, it will find that, um, that, that Korah led a rebellion against Moses, against the leadership of Moses. They th- he thought that Moses was soaring, seeing a bit too much of the action, a bit too much of the leadership. And so Korah and his co-conspirators confronted Moses. But the rebellion ended rather abruptly when the Lord caused the earth to open and swallow Korah and his co-conspirators. Somewhat dramatic end to that particular uprising. But it wasn't the end for the, of, of, the, of the sons of Korah. For a little later in Numbers chapter 26, we're told that despite the destructive judgment meted out on Korah and his followers, the line of Korah didn't die out. And the sons of Korah went on to be acknowledged as the author of 12 Psalms, of which Psalm 47 is the first in chronological order. And one other distinctive feature of this psalm that we miss in our English translations is that the word translated here in our text as Lord in capital letters is in fact the Hebrew word Elohim rather than the more usual Yahweh. Throughout the Old Testament, if you go back into the the original Hebrew there, there are a number of different words used for God. Elohim is here, El Shaddai, Elion, with Yahweh, far and away the most common. But the word Elohim is used more than two and a half thousand times in the Old Testament. For example, the word used for God in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4, when God calls Moses from the burning bush, is Elohim. And scholars who study these things believe there are three different traditions or sources that came together to form the Old Testament, and they're referred to as the Yahweh, the Elohist, and the priestly source. And one of the things that distinguishes between them is the name they used 
to refer to God. The Yahwist, not unsurprisingly, refers to God as Yahweh, while the Elohist and priestly traditions refer to God generally as Elohim. In Psalms 42 to 83, all refer to God as Elohim, and these are referred to as the Elohist Psalter, collection of psalms. But now to the psalm itself, which is a wonderful evangelical psalm. And it begins with a call to praise God. And notice how it calls not just on God's people, but all people, all you nations, all you nations to clap your hands, shout to God with cries of joy, looking beyond our fractured and divided world to a time when all nations will come to worship God, a time we see heralded throughout the the times as well as through the New Testament. There's a link back to Psalm 46, isn't there? Verse 10 there. He says in there, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And here's that call for the nations of the earth, all the nations of the earth, to clap their hands, to shout to God with cries of joy. Verse 5 tells us that God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sound of trumpets, which has led scholars to think that this psalm was particularly associated with coronations of Israel's kings. As well as the great procession as the Ark of the Covenant was carried up to Jerusalem, accompanied by much singing and dancing and rejoicing in the events that we have recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 6, as well as referred to in Psalm 132. This is our great celebration here. And the obvious link in the New Testament is to the ascension of Jesus. And this psalm is traditionally used as part of services to mark Ascension Day. Perhaps one of the least well-known and marked of the major festivals of the Christian church. At university there'd be a service on the top of the tower of the college chapel complete with robed choir. At lunchtime on Ascension Day, much to the general bemusement of those heading for a quick lunch after a morning of lectures, you'd see people staring up and walking into each other um, as they made their way um, towards lunch at what was happening on the roof of the, on the, on the, on the top of the, the chapel tower. Of course, when Jesus was taken up into heaven in events recorded in Acts chapter 1, there was no clapping or shouting or rejoicing amongst the disciples who watched somewhat bewildered as Jesus was taken up to heaven before their very eyes and that cloud hid him from their sight. But although the disciples were puzzled and perplexed, with the benefit of hindsight, we and they are able to rejoice that Jesus has risen and ascended because Where's Jesus now? He occupies the position of honour at the right hand of his Father in heaven. So we are able to celebrate that God is ascended. This psalm then is a great call to praise and the psalmist goes on to list out some of the reasons why we should praise God. The Lord Most High is awesome. The great King over all the earth. Now I don't know about you, But I really don't like that word awesome. It's got to be one of the most overused and misused words in the English language today. We've lost sight of its original meaning. And I'm probably just demonstrating I'm a fully signed up member of the Grumpy Old Man Club. But 
the vast majority of things, if not everything that are described as awesome today, are very definitely not when compared to the awesome splendor of the Lord in all his glory. When the day comes that we see the Lord in glory, we'll appreciate what awesome really means. We do get glimpses of the awesomeness of God as we view the wonders of his creation, whether it's in the curious mathematics of fractals, in there that give us these astonishing, beautiful patterns in there, whether it's signs of the beauty of creation here on earth, or whether it's as we stare into the deep depths of outer space. These latest, some of these latest photographs from the, the James Webb Telescope give us new insights. New insights into the glory and the beauty of God's creation. Truly awesome. But whether here on earth or as we stare into the depths of outer space, it's the creator and redeemer of all who is truly awesome in his might and majesty and in his love shown to each one of us, demonstrated in giving Jesus to die on the cross to bear the punishment we're each due for our sins. Surely that should be the focus of our praise, of our worship, of our thanksgiving, of our shouts for joy. I was presented with something of a theological dilemma on Friday in an email I received at work, which read, as so-and-so is on holiday, could this other person sin on their behalf? Which I thought was a very interesting concept. In reality, they just missed the letter G out of the word sign. (laughs) But back to our psalm. And that reminder that we're to clap our hands, to shout for joy, because the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great king over all the earth. We won't want to clap and celebrate the success of our football or rugby team or sporting hero, and that's great. Except perhaps if you're a Manchester United supporter, and to avail over that at the moment. We love to cheer our side on to victory, to shout, to scream encouragement, to applaud their success. But how often do we want to offer such praise to the one who is above everything and everyone, the creator and redeemer of all? It's perhaps interesting to speculate what conclusion a visitor from outer space would come to if they visited a football match and a church service. I wonder where they would see more passion and commitment, praise and adulation, adoration. The success of the sporting team ebbs and flows, but the glory of the Lord lasts forever. The glory of the Lord will still be present when the last ball has been kicked in a football stadium when there is no more competitions, when we're all gathered together to worship God. So why not start worshipping God and praising God and cheering him 
now. One of the recurring themes of the Old Testament is the repeated reminders to God's people of all that God had done for them in saving them from slavery in Egypt, of saving them from the Egyptian army who were pursuing them by leading them across the Red Sea before closing the waters over the Egyptian army, leading them through the wilderness for 40 years before leading them across the River Jordan to take possession of of the promised land. How the Lord gave victory time and again in situations that were in human terms overwhelmingly impossible. All of these blessings were built on the promise to the aged and childless Abram that his descendants would be more numerous than the grains of sand on the seashore. There are those who see no value in history. You can't drive looking all the time in the rearview mirror, they say. And we can't live in the past But it's good to be reminded of all the good and wonderful things that God has done for us as individuals, as families, as a church. I don't know if you're the same as me. Hopefully you're probably far more organized than I am. But amidst all the business of life, it can be really easy to forget what God has done for us day by day, week by week, year by year. Maelstrom of stuff keeps happening. It's only when you look back and you realize what God has done in our lives. So if you don't do so already, can I really encourage you to keep a notebook or a diary or some form of electronic note, if you prefer, just to write down when you've experienced a particular blessing from God, as well as reminding ourselves of the daily blessings that are ours. And perhaps when things are a bit tough and life's a bit dark, a bit of a struggle, go back and look over those pages, over those records. Be reminded of all the wonderful things that God has done for us. And it'll perhaps be easier to find things to praise God for, the small things as well as the great Because sometimes it's very difficult to remember all the wonderful blessings that God has poured out on us. Now the second part of the psalm is a reminder of the call to sing praise to our king, the one who is king of all the earth. As we've already mentioned, we celebrated the Platinum Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth earlier this year, which marked a wonderful achievement by our monarch, and we pray she'll continue to serve Commonwealth and nation for many years yet. Her position as head of state is limited to this country and a slowly reducing number of countries of the Commonwealth. But even at the height of the British Empire, whilst it was said the sun never set across the empire, none of the monarchs who held sway at that time, Victoria, Edward VII, George V, George VI, ever ruled over all the nations, over all the earth. Exercise sway over a large part, but never over all, never has one person ruled over all the nations. Even, even the, 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 the Roman emperor at the height of the empire still didn't rule over all of the world. By contrast, the Lord our God is the king of all the earth, of all the nations. 
And for that reason alone, we should be inspired to sing a psalm of praise. And that's the point that the psalmist, the sons of Korah, are making here. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to my king, sing praises. There's a bit of a theme there, isn't there? For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. As we look around us with the direct and indirect implications of the Russian invasion of Ukraine being felt around the world as ordinary families are hit by soaring food and energy prices caused by that conflict. As we see the implications of climate change becoming ever more real, affecting us here in this country. As we achieve the highest temperature ever measured. With upset and turmoil pretty much everywhere we look, it can be difficult to remember that God is in control. That despite what Presidents Putin or Biden or Xi Jinping might think, what they might think they control, ultimately it's God who is sovereign, it's God who is in control, it's God who is king over all the earth. It's God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. It's God who reigns over the nations, who's seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth, the sons of Korah remind us, belong to God and he's greatly exalted. The opening words of Thomas Cranmer's prayer for the sovereign in the prayer book. Remind us of the truth that all earthly authority comes from God. O Lord, our heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings, Lord of lords, the only ruler of princes, who does from thy throne behold all the dwellers upon earth. Most heartily we beseech thee with thy favour to behold our most gracious sovereign lady, Queen Elizabeth. Many of the world's leaders seem to have forgotten that truth. But as Christians, we know that to be true, that the kings and presidents of the nation of the world all ultimately are answerable to God for the power and authority delegated to them. That's why we should continue to pray for them. And why ultimately we should rejoice knowing that it's God who's in control over all who exercise authority over us. That truth may seem hard to comprehend to someone being persecuted for their faith under an oppressive regime. For those driven out of their homeland, we need to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters for whom oppression and persecution are part of daily life. But we have a promise found in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2 and verses 10 and 11, that the day will come when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But until that time, brothers and sisters, we need to pray for our leaders and for those who find themselves persecuted by oppressive regimes. So in summary then, Psalm 47 challenges us to offer praise to God, whether we clap our hands, whether we shout, or whether we sing our praises, because the Lord Most High is awesome in all the true meaning of that word. The Lord is king over all the earth. He did great things for the people of Israel. And in sending Jesus to die on the cross for us, 
He's done an even greater thing for each one of us. Surely such greatness, such majesty, demands our praise, whether it's sung or whether it's clapped or whether it's shouted. It's those people gathered on the mall to praise Queen Elizabeth and all that she has done. How much greater should be our praise and rejoicing for the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who sits enthroned in splendor. So let's remind ourselves of all the good things that God has done for us, which should form the foundation of our praises. Let's continue to pray for our brothers and sisters who through no fault of their own find themselves living under oppressive regimes, for whom persecution is a part of daily life. Let's continue to pray for those who seek to persecute our brothers and sisters for their faith. For despite how things might seem, despite the rising cost of living, all the pressures that are coming upon us, God is the king of all the earth. God is utterly worthy of all our praises. So as we go from here, let's commit to living lives that bring praise and honor and glory to the Lord our God, to our Savior Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit, God's presence with us day by day. We might not feel comfortable clapping or shouting our praises in church. Let's at least sing our praises to God when we gather together. But let's praise God in all that we do day by day. The nations don't yet all praise God. And it's for each one of us here to be part of that movement. To encourage them to do so. To come to bring them to that point of realisation that, yes, indeed, it is the Lord our God, the one who we worship, who is greatly exalted. That all power and authority come from God, who's seated in heaven on his holy throne. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful call to praise. Father, you've blessed us so richly. You've done so much for us. I know at times it seems difficult. Many of us will be going through dark times. And yet, Lord, we rest in the sure and certain knowledge that you are the King. And help us to live lives that bring honour and praise and glory to you in all that we do and see, such that one day all the nations will be prepared to gather together to praise you in all that they do. Amen.